Okay, so Colossians chapter 3. Now, if you remember, uh, we call this series Clarifying Colossians because there's been a lot of misunderstandings in regards to uh, what Paul wrote about because seemingly from a Western standpoint and uh, from a Protestant bias, it appears that uh, Paul was speaking against the high holy days of Leviticus 23, that he was even speaking against the law of Moses itself, speaking against the dietary laws and things of this nature. And so over the past couple chapters, we've addressed many of those issues and have clarified them that that is not exactly what Paul was was talking about or getting at. Um, it's just because we have not been able to read the scriptures through a Hebraic mindset and through Jewish eyes. We've been reading it through a Western mindset and through a Western lens. So uh, we also dealt with um, what, what I call proto-Kabbalistic philosophy. Now what I mean by that is, is Jewish mysticism. Uh, there is the Kabbalah, um, and so there's two things going on here that Paul addresses. He addresses rabbinic Judaism, which is uh, rules and regulations that are in addition to the 613 commandments of the five books of Moses. And proto-Kabbalistic philosophy, which uh, also the Greeks were having their Gnostic influence, um, Gnosticism, and uh, this proto-Kabbalistic philosophy of Jewish mysticism that was kind of taking over and making its way through the various congregations. So we're going to be dealing with some of that here tonight. So in Colossians, and again, I'm reading from the King James Easy Reader because this is, you know, I did this study when I was off in my camp excursion. So it'll definitely read differently in the uh, Tree of Life version. But in Colossians chapter 3, verses uh, 1 and 2, we'll start. It says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections, other translation says, set your mind on things above and not on the earth. Now what this is implying, because Colossians is just one long letter, there was no chapter breaks, there was no verse breaks, we have put the chapter and verses there for our own convenience. Because it's convenient when we want to cite a particular passage, then we can quote chapter and verse. It wasn't so when these letters were written. So we have to remember what was written prior in chapters 1 and 2. And part of it was this proto-Kabbalistic philosophy, this Gnosticism, this rabbinic Judaism. And even the, um, the what, what Paul calls in Romans the deeds of the law or the works of the law, which is the Essene extra rules and regulations in following God's commandments. They said, if you want to be extra uber spiritual, extra super clean and pure, you have to do this, 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 and this, in addition to the 613 commandments. And Paul was saying, no, 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 you don't have to do any of that. Uh, that's not what it's about. So we're also dealing with, with uh, Essene extras. So basically what verses 1 and 2 is implying, it's implying that rabbinic Judaism, proto-Kabbalistic philosophy, and Gnosticism, which the previous chapters talked about, is not uber-spiritual. It's not in reality deep things, but it's actually earthly things. Because a lot of this stuff that claims to be mystical and spiritual deals with earthly, physical, do's and don't regulations that say, that say they have a deeper spiritual meaning if you do them. So in reality, it's, it's very earthly, very earthly-minded, this rabbinic Judaism and proto-Kabbalistic philosophy and this Gnosticism. So verses 1 and 2 is telling us to be rooted and grounded, rooted and grounded in God's Word. 
If you want to be spiritual, be rooted and grounded in God's word. You don't need anything else. There's so many people that get into Messianic Judaism and then they learn all the customs and learn different Hebrew culture, cultural things and words. And then they get into all the rituals of Messianic Judaism and then they think, okay, okay, I've had my fill of that. I want to go deeper. So they start going after the Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism. You don't need that. There is so much here that you have not even scratched the surface on. Don't ever think, oh, I know it all. I've been raised in church. I've, I know all the stories. I, I've, I've read the Bible cover to cover a hundred times. There's nothing new you can't teach me. Then, then there's something wrong with you because the word of God is supernatural. The word of God is spiritual and deep. We can never exhaust the depths of the word of God. It, it is, yeah, it's alive. It's the living word. And there's some rabbis who spend their entire life studying Genesis 1-1. I mean, we're talking rabbis that are 70, 80, 80 years old. I mean, of course, they study other things and teach other things. But in their private time, they are stuck on Genesis 1-1. And you're thinking, oh, geez, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What, or, or no, that's John 1-1. <laughs> in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth, you know, it's like, what can you get out of that? Well, obviously a lot, because rabbis have spent their entire lives on it. So you don't need any extra spiritual stuff. That's one way that Satan gets you. He gets you to think that you know it all. That's a form of spiritual pride. He gets you to think that you can't be taught anything new. That's a form of spiritual pride. He gets you to think that, oh, well, this is just elementary cursory stuff. There's deeper stuff. You got to get into the super spiritual. No, you don't. Because that stuff has not been proven. That stuff has not been tested. I'm not saying that all of it's bunk, but a vast majority of it is. Because if it doesn't line up, with the Word of God itself, it's no good. And I mean, when you look at the Word of God through a Hebraic lens, you're looking at it through four levels of interpretation all at the same time. So you're like, there is an acronym called Paradise in the English, but it's called Pardes in Hebrew. You have P, which is the Peshat level. Peshat means the literal level. It's, it, it, it's black and white. It says what it says. It means what it means. It's the literal level. That's the first level of interpretation is the Peshat level. So you have the remez level. The remez level is something that you read, and it seems like the scripture is hinting about something else. It's hinting about a prophecy or hinting about another passage of scripture or hinting about another subject matter altogether. That's the remez level of interpretation. Then you have the drosh level of interpretation, which is the applicable level. How I could read this and then how I can apply it to my life. Because how you apply the scriptures, even though the scriptures are not done away with, they're not obsolete, they're not outdated, sometimes you're going to do things in the scriptures differently here in the 21st century than they did it back in Abraham's day or back in Moses's day or back in King David's day. That's just because times and culture changes, but the human condition never changes. That's why uh, the Word of God is so applicable, because it addresses our human condition, which is the same universally, no matter what time era you, you're in or who you are or where you live on the planet. We all deal with a fallen nature, which is what the scriptures deal with. So the drosh level is the applicable level, and that's mostly where the teaching comes in, where you learn and then you do. Then finally, you have the sowed level of interpretation, which is the spiritual deeper level. The spiritual level is already in the Word of God. You don't have to go outside of the Word of God to rabbinic Judaism or, Kab or the Kabbalah or Jewish mysticism. There's enough spiritual depth in the Word of God itself that you can spend your lifetime in. You'll never plumb the depths of it. Never. 
So just beware of these people who claim they have secret knowledge or they know more than you because they're studying this spiritual discipline or that spiritual discipline. It's yeah, most of it is just bunk and and it it's a way that Satan gets people away from God's word. Yeah, it can it can even go into witchcraft. It can go into superstition, it can go into witchcraft. Yeah. There um there is I mean there is some legitimate spiritual Kabbalah uh, Jewish, but but see, even in Judaism, Jews are not even allowed to even crack open a book of Kabbalah until they're 30 years old. So, why? Because they're mature, number one. Number two, because they've spent their life from eighth day of circumcision learning about the Torah, learning about the five books of Moses and the rest of the Bible, and on top of that, learning the Talmud, which is the Jewish commentary on the Word of God. They've spent 30 years. So they know the traditions, they know the custom, because there's, we're getting a little off topic here, but that's okay. There is, um, there's a story about four people who tried to study Kabbalah. One became a heretic, one went insane, uh, one guy, um, I can't remember, did he, either he become a pervert or he killed himself, I can't remember. And then only one came out righteous, one came out better. So that's what, one out of four people that could su successfully deal with Kabbalah or spiritual mysticism? I just say stay away from it altogether because there is a lot of it that has been influenced by Babylonian paganism because that's kind of where Kabbalah really got its roots and really got its start was back during the, uh, the captivity in Babylon. And so a lot of it came out of that, and there's a lot of paganism that is kind of bled into uh, Jewish mysticism, and it's it's pretty much corrupt. There's some things that are that are good that are on the level, but the majority of it is not, and you really have to be an expert in it. You know, it, it's kind of like uh, you know being an electrician. I'm not an electrician, so there is no way I'm going to be working on an outlet in my house. There's no way I'm going to be working on the you know the breaker panel in my house. Because I know that I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm going to kill myself. So I get somebody who's trained in electri electrical work to do that for me because they know what they're doing. So I leave all that Jewish mysticism crap alone, and everybody else should too. Don't ever think that you, you've outgrown this word. You will never, ever outgrow this word. It's got everything you need from the literal to stuff that's hinted at to the applicable to the deep spiritual. And sometimes I try to bring out that deep spiritual stuff that's in the Word of God. Yeah. No, no, no problem for me to stay in that. Yeah. All right. So um, let's, let's go back to verse 1 and just take the first part of that verse. If you then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above. Seek those things which are above. Um, so let me take you back to Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses uh, 20 through 23. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, if you remember rudiments, really dealt with this rabbinic Judaism, proto-Kabbalistic, Gnostic philosophy. That's what that rudiments meant. Therefore, if you be dead in Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, you are subject to ordinances? And this goes into the Essene extra rules and regulations of becoming extra pure and uber spiritual. Touch not, taste not, handle not. 
which all are to perish with using after the commandments and doctrines of men. These have nothing to do with the commandments and doctrines of God, but the doctrines and commandments of men. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom. They look like they're wise and uber spiritual. They have a show of wisdom in, in will worship and humility and neglecting the body, not in any honor to satisfy uh, to satisfying of the flesh. So you couple that with uh, another of Paul's letters, 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says that uh, we are a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. So death, uh, dying to self, dying to your fallen self and to the fallen nature and your sinful self, it's, it's in essence a, a rebirth. That's why we call it being born again, because you're born again. And it's like a seed. A seed has to die before it can be birthed into a plant. So there, a death has to take place in order to light, for life to come out of that. So that's in the physical as well as in the spiritual. So, you know, it's like there's the death of the caterpillar, so to speak, and the birth of the butterfly. You know, it's the same animal, the same creature, but it's transformed one into the other. So uh, in verse 1, we're talking about being risen with Christ. In other words, being a new creature, a new creation where the things of our old life uh, have no relevance for us anymore, and we become a new man, so to speak, and we read about that in the third chapter in verses 9 and 10. It says, Lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and having put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. So this we're talking about the born-again experience of salvation. And we read about that uh, back in uh, John chapter 3. So that might just be worth revisiting. We may, we may stay a little bit longer in uh, Colossians chapter 3 than maybe I intended, but we can always do a part 2 to chapter 3. It's no big deal. But this is such a, a touching story. In John chapter 3, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now, whenever most Christians think of, the, of a Pharisee, they think of the bad guys. They think that they were all power hungry, all twisted and perverted, and all, um, you know, bad guys. But they're not. The Pharisees weren't the bad guys. There was only a handful of them that were bad guys. Because Paul was a Pharisee, and he never renounced his Phariseeism. He says, I am a Pharisee. He still was a Pharisee even after his conversion. That was just the sect that he came from. So it says, so two righteous Pharisees we know about is Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. So, so there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So he was a great teacher. He was also a judge. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi means teacher. We know that you're a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again. Except a man be born again. Well, that's just totally bizarre. Talk about the sowed level. Talk about the super spiritual. What Jesus is talking about here is super spiritual. Being born again. That doesn't make sense to our logical, literal human minds. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? See how he's thinking physical and literal here? He's not even understanding that Jesus is diving into the spiritual. And then it says, um, 
Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water, that's a physical birth, because when a woman gives birth, the water breaks first, right? So unless a man be born of water, that's your first birth, your natural birth, your physical birth, and of the Spirit, being spiritually born, spiritually reborn, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So the pr first re pr prerequisite is you've got to be born. And we're all sitting here, so we've all been born. So we've got to be born again. And in the Greek, it means being born from above, being born from the heavenlies. So it's this spiritual born-again experience he's talking about. It says he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say to you that you must be born again. You must be born from above. The wind blows where it lists, and you hear the sound thereof, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, I've never seen the wind, but I know the wind is real because I've seen the evidence of the wind. My keepa gets blown off. I see the, tr the, 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 the tree branches move and the, the leaves moving down after they fall into the ground. I, I see evidence of the wind. But I don't know where the wind comes from or where it's going because I can't see it. So he says it's the same thing with the Spirit. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said, Are you a master? Now a master, like there's, there's Rav, which means master, and then there's Rabbi, which means teacher. So actually the Apostle Paul was a Rav. He reached the level of a master. He was a Rav. He almost sat on the Sanhedrin of Israel. And so it says, are you a master? Are you a Rav of Israel and know not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak that we do, we speak that we do know and testify what we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. As Moses was lifted up, uh, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Um, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And the famous verse we all know, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him, that's the process of being born again, the new birth, believing what Jesus did for us in our place on the cross, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes in him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name, that is the power, the authority, of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Isn't that interesting? Men love darkness rather than light. I've never been to a bar that was well lit. Bars are always dark because you can do a lot of things in the dark and people can't see you. Unless you're at a bowling alley, but that's not really the same as a bar. Um, the world, the men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes into the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that does the truth comes to light that the deeds may be made manifest, uh, that we are all wrought in God. All right, so we're going to stop right there, and we're going to get back to Colossians chapter 3. So verse 1, we're talking about the born-again experience. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, 
So seek those things that are about the born-again experience, about being saved. What do we do now that we're born again? What do we do now that we're born from above? Because our old life on earth is over. It's dead. It's gone. It's buried. It likes to be a zombie and likes to come back to life and haunt us. And we have to, you know, keep chopping its head off. But it says, if you be risen in Christ, seek those things which are above, which Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your mind or set your affections on things above and not on things of this earth. All right. So verse two, set your mind on things above or your affections on things above and not on this earth. Things above is in Messiah and Messiah alone. It's not Yeshua plus such and such. And that goes back to the Jewish mysticism and rabbinic Judaism and the Essene philosophy we were, we've been talking about. Oh, well, you got to do this plus this. So it's never Jesus plus this. So if you run into a Christian organization or a religious organization saying that you got to have Jesus, but you got to do this, 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 and this also, run. Just go away. Just go away. Because if they got that wrong, they're going to have everything else wrong. That's kind of the linchpin of right and true doctrine. It's Christ alone. And if you add to that Christ plus such and such, then you're saving yourself. You're part of that works of salvation, which you can't save yourself. We're fallen human beings. Only Christ can save, our, uh, save us. Like if, you don't, if you don't save him, how Exactly. You don't, you don't have the Holy Spirit if you don't speak That's right. Something like that, where people, there's denominations that say, well, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Yeah. Well, if you haven't been baptized, you're not saved. That's just a bunch of bull crap. I mean, I feel sorry for the thief on the cross because I guess Jesus, I guess Jesus lied to him. I guess he lied to him. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Oh, sorry, forgot. You got to be baptized to go to heaven. So I guess you're going to go to hell. Sorry. Right. And I mean, this whole tongues thing, I'm not saying that, that tongues aren't important. They are. But Paul said they're the least of all gifts. The least. So they're they're important, but they're not as important as prophecy or as yeah. And Paul even says aspire to uh, to obtain the greater gifts, such as prophecy or whatnot. You know. So yeah, exactly. You said it just right. Uh, okay, verse verse three. Yeah, I think this is going to be a two parter. Verse three, for you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Huh. Did, same yes, we, yes, we did. Yeah, we went to we went to the same Bible college. Um, so, uh, all right. So, verse three: For you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So, we can go back to the twentieth verse of the second chapter, where it says, "Wherefore you are you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of this world? Why, as though living in a world in the world, you are subject to ordinances?" And then also um, another of Paul's letters. Paul's letters go great together. I mean, you can always bounce Paul's letters off one off of the other. So with this verse in Colossians 3, uh, 3, for you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ and God. I want to go to Galatians chapter 5 and read verse 24, which says this. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. So what's the point of a crucifixion? Death. I mean, it just 
It, it, it wasn't like a, a, a feather tickle fest. I mean, it was, it's a torturous, long, drawn-out death. The main goal of a crucifixion is to make the death as agonizing as possible, and once they're dead, the work's done. So crucifixion means death. So Paul says in Galatians 5, uh, 5, 20, 24, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh. We've killed it. We've nailed it to the cross. We've tortured it until it's dead with the affections and lusts. And so that goes with Colossians 3, 3, for you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So what do we do with a dead, with a dead body? We bury it. If we bury it, then the body's hidden. We can no longer see it. And even if you cremate it, you put it in an urn, you still can't see it. So that's what baptism represents. When, when, you, when you have that born-again experience, when you accept Yeshua the Messiah as your personal Lord and Savior, and you trust what he did on the cross to save you from your sins, then you have, you have died to yourself, you've been crucified with Christ, and then the baptism is that symbolic, I'm burying myself. I'm going into the water, and I'm hiding the old man. I'm hiding the old person that I used to be. I'm leaving the old person behind in the watery depths. And when I come out of the water, it's like Jesus coming out of the tomb. I'm raising again to new life. I'm coming out of the water as a new person, symbolically. And so that's why baptism is so important. There's no ritualistic magic to a baptism. So when people say, well, you have to be baptized to be saved, no, because it's, it's, there's no inerrant spiritual power in baptism. The, the power is in the symbolism of what it represents. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, like, for instance, like there are places in the world where people can't get baptized because they are in a country where Christianity is illegal. And if there is a baptism, then you're going to get arrested. So a lot of times they will get baptized in a bathtub. Well, because you weren't baptized in the river, it doesn't count. Or because you weren't baptized in a church baptistry, it doesn't count. And because you got sprinkled instead of immersed, it doesn't count. No, it's the intention. Why are you doing it? It's symbolic. It's just like the communion. Like there was, there was these guys that went camping and they were talking about spiritual things and everything. And they're like, well, man, well, we're having such a great time. Why don't we have communion? Well, okay. But we don't have any grape juice or any any bread. Well, I've got Pepsi. I've got brownies. There you go. And it's not that they were trying to be irreverent. That's all they had. So they're like, okay, we're gonna. This is gonna represent the blood, and this brownie is gonna represent the probably the most delicious communion they ever had. Amen. <laughs> but again, it's not the elements had no magic or any special properties. It's why they were doing it. They're saying, okay, for right now, this is going to symbolize this because we want to worship the Lord and we don't have the normal, usual elements. We're going to use with what we've got, like MacGyver. You work with what you got, right? And so it's, it's the intention. It's the meaning behind it. Okay. Love these bunny trails. All right. Okay. All right, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall also, then you also appear with him in glory. I like that. When when Christ, who is our life. This reminds me of an Old Testament passage that is linking the five books of Moses to Jesus Christ, the living word. So in Deuteronomy, and that's my favorite book of Torah. And that was Jesus' favorite book of Torah. And Deuteronomy means a second law, means a retelling of the law. So basically, Moses put the first three book or the first four books of the Bible in his own words. 
from Genesis, well, I guess you could skip Genesis because it's mostly the law. So, you know, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, Moses put in his own words. So it wasn't like dictated from God, like God speaking it from Mount Sinai. But yet Jesus quotes Deuteronomy more than any other book of the Torah. It was his favorite book too. And Moses wrote it. So in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 47, this is what Moses says to the people. Chapter 2? Uh, 32. Deuteronomy 32, verse 47. This is what Moses says to the people in regards to the law. And I know a lot of Christians get this idea that the law is bad. The law has been done away with. The law is not bad. Paul said in Romans, it's holy. It's good. You just got to know its proper place. So it says, for it, meaning the Torah, the law, for it is not a vain thing for you because it is your life. Well, lo and behold, it says Christ is my life in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. So is there a contradiction there? Yes. Seems to there's not. Because the way it's stated, I guess. I it, there's not a contradiction. It's one and the same. Because John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, capital W. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeshua, Jesus, is the living manifestation of the written Torah. He's the living manifestation of the law. So Moses told Israel, he said, this law, it is your life. And then here Paul says, Christ is your life. They're saying the same thing. Because one's the written word and the other is the living word, but they're the same thing. They're both the word. They're the word of God. So, again, uh, Deuteronomy 32, 47. For it is not a vain thing for you, because it, the law, the Torah, is your life. And through these things shall prolong your days in the land where you go over the Jordan to uh, possess it. In Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear... Then shall you also appear with him in glory. Isn't it always a good idea to read before and after to get the context right. of what you're reading? Yep. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, like a lot of people like to pull, especially people who know nothing about the Bible. And the one you'll get all the time is, oh, Bible says not to judge. You've probably, that's, you've probably never even read that chapter where it's in. So what does the verses before and after it say? You know, what's, what's the context? We are to judge, but we're to be careful how we judge. We're to judge in righteousness, right? Someone says they don't judge is lying. Right. Bible says not to judge. Well, you don't know what you're talking about because you've never read the Bible, so you don't know what you're talking about. You don't get to participate. Eat your cookies. <laughs> yeah, go, go, go eat your cookies. Um, so, all right. Oh, also an interesting thing in chapter 3, verse 4 of Colossians, where it says in the last part, then uh, says, when Christ, who is your life, shall appear, so that is kind of hinting about his second coming, right? Then shall you also appear with him in glory. This is hinting about what we talked about in our Matthew 24 series, that the rapture and the battle of Armageddon take place at the same time simultaneously. We are raptured into the heavenlies to join the soldiers that have already came with Jesus to make war on the bad guys. So I, it kind of hints that here in, in the last part of verse 4, which I thought was was very interesting moving on to verse five mortify so mortify means put to death put to death therefore your members which are upon the earth fornication uncleanliness inordinate that means unnatural affections which is hinting about the lbgtq ai plus movement inordinate affections evil uh, cons uh conspicuousies which is evil desires 
and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, which is idolatry. So uh, the first part of this verse, mortify therefore your members. Well, that reminds me of what Paul says in Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ. So I'm going to go ahead and turn there and read that. So Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. So it's talking about the resurrection, being born again. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when we're resurrected, we're born again. We're no longer living for ourselves, our wants, our fancies, our desires. We're living for the desires of the King, the desires of God, the desires of Jesus Christ. We make his will our will. All right, so back to uh, verse 5 of Colossians 3. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affections, evil conspicuousies, uh, covetousness, which is idolatry. What's interesting, because Paul says virtually the same thing to the Galatians, but goes in a little bit more detail in Galatians chapter 5, verses 24 through 26. It says, and they that are, in, that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let, all, let us also walk in the Spirit. So how, how do we know the difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the Spirit? Walking in the flesh is, I want to go get a tall boy and get drunk. Walking in the spirit is like, yeah, I want to get drunk, but I want to get drunk in the spirit. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that, so. There's no high like the most high. That's right. There's no high like the most high. There you go. Uh, so uh, he says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory. That means empty pursuits. Empty pursuits, things that don't amount to no good, like lying, laying on the couch eight hours a day, binging something on Netflix. How does that make you a better person, right? It's it's a vain pursuit. that's used to do that, you know. I just you feel so empty. Y you do. You like you like in the moment it feels good because you're yeah. being entertained. But once it's over, you realize, well, man, it's like seven o'clock and I haven't done anything all day. I I literally wasted a day on planet Earth. I did, you know. It, it's it's a vain pursuit, an empty pursuit. Since I've been saved, I just things don't sit the same as they used to. And they're not supposed to. Right. Like you said. Yeah. The creation of Christ. Exactly. Hate the things that he hates. Exactly. Right? Yep. Get better at that. Let it's us love video games. Well, everything in moderation, right? Right. And that's what I do. Yeah. yeah. Let us not be desirous of vainglory as empty pursuits, provoking one another, envying one another. All right. Um so basically, verse 5 is telling us that we are not to cater to the flesh, because when we cater to the flesh, it's, like, it, it's considered idolatry. Because when you cater to the flesh, you give gifts to the flesh as if they were offerings to a god. So you're basically worshiping yourself when you're fulfilling your own worldly lust and desires. What do you mean like somebody who's always prepping and stuff like that? No, not necessarily that, but you know, you're living for, your, you, you, living for yourself, living for your own desires. like. You know, I I want to I want to eat ice cream all day. You know, I don't want to do anything else. I want to binge Netflix all day. I want to go and get high. I want to hustle and make as much money as I can. I want to you know uh, get a prostitute because it makes me feel good. It's what I want. It's what my flesh desires. Yeah, it's all about you. Something that serves you. Nobody else gets the benefit, but you do. 
that is idolatry because it's worship of the flesh. It's putting the flesh first. Um, so in, in an example of this is Genesis 3.6. Genesis 3.6, we go back to the beginning, and we find the worship of self right back in the beginning. So it says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, okay, it's going to fill my belly. That's part of the flesh. It's part of I. I'm hungry. What do we do when we fast? We say, shut up, stomach. Not today. I'm the boss, not you. You know, we're, we're, we're making a stand. So here it says, and the, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, okay, I'm going to satiate my hunger, and that it was pleasant to the eyes. Ooh, shiny, sparkly, it looks good. You know, we see some, uh, like, window shopping sometimes is more satisfying than actually getting it. Because we spend all this time desiring and wanting, and that desire and wanting actually feels good. But when we get it, a couple days go by, it's like, eh, you're looking for the next thing to want. So it says, and so it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirous to make one wise, because Satan said, oh, if you eat this, you're going to be like God. You're going to know good and evil. So it was desired to make one wise. So you see the lust? It was all about her, what she could benefit, what she can gain. Forget Adam, forget God, forget everybody else. So this was the idolatry of the self, worshiping the self. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with, with her, and he did eat. So kind of back to your guys' example, how when you're when you're together and you're on the right track and clean and sober, you, you encourage each other. But when one falls, usually the other person falls. It's the same with Adam and Eve. When Adam saw that Eve fell, he's like, oh, I don't want her to fall alone because she's now separated from me. At least I'll be with her. So he falls too. <laughs> All right, back to Colossians. Yes, we are going to make this a two-parter. <laughs> All right, Colossians. Um, okay. I've done notes, I'm just going to listen. <laughs> All right. Um, so we've been talking about being born again and dying to self and dying to the flesh. Well, you can't tempt a dead person. So let's say that there was a person who was on the world poker tour. He made his living by gambling. He loved it. He loved it. He wanted more of it. Right. And let's say he died and he's lying there in the coffin. Well, if I come with a bunch of scratchy tickets, wave it in front of his nose, he's not going to go, oh, oh, scratch tickets. It's not going to affect him. He's dead. You cannot tempt a dead person. You can't tempt him no matter what their vice was. Uh, and so, you know, spiritually speaking, if we've died to ourselves, you can't tempt a dead person. You can't make a dead person angry. You can't make a dead person sin because that person's gone. They don't desire that anymore. So that's kind of like what we're getting at there. All right. Uh, let's see where we're at. We're in verse 6. For which things, for which things sake, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. So here we're talking about the things in verse 5, the fornication, the uncleanliness, the unnatural or inordinate affection, the, the evil desires. And the covetousness, which is idolatry, verse 6, for which things, the ones that we just spoke about, for which things sake, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. That's not good. So basically, Paul's telling us that sin has consequences. You get a, you know, there's an action, there's got to be a reaction. So in Deuteronomy 28 is the consequences for sin. I won't go into to reading that. You can read that on your own. But Deuteronomy 20, 28 basically talks about if you do not obey God, 
and you break God's commandments, these curses will fall upon you, meaning the consequences of your sin, the punishment of your sin will fall upon you. And then so we see also that in Genesis 19. So Sodom and Gomorrah, that's where we get the word sodomy and sodomites. They were, they were evil people who wanted to rape guests that came into their city. They, oh, there's newcomers that come to the city. They're staying at Lot's house. Bring them out so that we may, quote unquote, know them. Nice way of saying we want to have sex with them. And what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? It was burnt with fire and brimstone. It was just reduced to rubble and ash because that was the consequence of the, the, their sin. The Sodomites, the Sodom and Gomorrah, they were the children of disobedience. And what came of that disobedience was the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. All right, verse 7. So that, was, that was God's wrath. That was God's wrath. Yeah, and that's what, that's what verse 6 says. For which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. Verse 7. In the which you also walked some time when you lived in them. So he's saying you guys were just the same. And this kind of touches back on 1 Corinthians 6.11 where he lists all this stuff and he says some were such as you. So I'll just go ahead and read that so we can get... A, so the wages of sin is death. Right? The consequences or the price of sin is death. Yeah. Yeah, the cost of sin. Okay, sin has a price tag and the price tag is death. So in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11... It says, well, I'm going to go ahead and read the, uh, the above verses too. So starting with verse 9, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And verse 11 says, and such were some of you. Could you imagine a church filled with ex-fornicators, ex-adulterers, ex-drunkers, ex-thieves? Well, congratulations, we're all some of those. Sounds like Harvest House. Yeah, it sounds like Harvest House. Because Paul says, and such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified. But you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That is the great news. And that is kind of what verse 7 is talking about. In the which you also walked at some time when you lived in them. So it's good that our past can remain in the past and be in the past. We don't have to be haunted by the past or live in the past. We're free from the past. It's dead. Now, like I said, it likes to be a zombie like the walking dead and come back, but it's just an illusion. It's not real. You just got to chop its head off just like Rick Grimes or, you know, or whoever has the crossbow on that show. You just, you just got to re-crucify it. Some people might remind you. Yeah, they want to remind you, but yeah, because they don't want to believe that people can change. And, and they're jealous because they haven't changed themselves and because they haven't changed and they don't believe they can change. They don't want to believe you can or have. They don't want to be yeah, they are convicted. Conviction. Yes, conviction will make people bring uh, your past back up in your face because they're convicted of those very things. Uh, okay, you know what? I th uh, let's read. Let's read verse eight, and then maybe that might be a good stopping point for us. But now, okay. But now, meaning you're born again. You don't walk in the things that you used to walk. You don't do the things you used to do. But now, you also put off all these. So what was mentioned before was the big sins, idolatry, fornication, lust, 
you know, drunk or, you know, drunken, all this kind of stuff. All this, well, these were big sins, big, big sins. But you know what? There's little sins, little sins that everybody deals with. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. We all deal with them. It says, now that you've taken care of the big things, basically, if I can paraphrase, but now you also put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. That's another word for that is slander, not blasphemy and like blaspheming religiously, but gossip. Filthy communication out of your mouth. Bad language. We all deal with that. You know, it doesn't matter what your big sin was, what your major vice was. You may have conquered that, but I don't know about you. I'm still working on the anger. I got rid of that gaming system for that reason. Yeah. Because it was, it was blue in my room. Mm. And I noticed it's creeping back, too, because I'm playing certain games now. That I got a quick game. Yeah. It's, it's plain and clear. Well, because you have an addictive personality, you're just trading one addiction from another. Right. Alcoholism for gaming. Looking for the feel goods. Right. And we got to find our feel goods in the Lord because yes. he's got them all. Yeah. There's but no high like the most high. Even when, I, right, even when I'm gaming, though, I'm actually in communion yeah. for the most part. Yeah. But I'm constantly cursing and stuff. And it's like, there you go. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I mean, I, I'm not the greatest driver. Like sometimes I'll be driving and, you know, you'll get some slow Joe poke in front of you. And it's like, you're not even going the speed limit. Come on. What the what the frig is wrong with you? You know, and I'll be like, Lord, I shouldn't speak like that. You know, I get a little bit of road rage going on. Little, yeah, a little wrath, a little anger. So these are the little sins we all deal with that we're all having to re-crucify over and over and over and over again. Yeah, road wrath. Yeah. So uh, you put you put the major sins to bed. Now you have to deal with the little sins, the common sins. And so Paul, again, uh, tackles this in Galatians. So in Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 19 through 21, he says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, that's sensuality, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variances, emulations, which means discord and jealousy, wrath, strife, and sedition, and heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such as the like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he gives us the other side of the coin. What do we do to replace those things, those bad things, that the major sins and the little sins that we all deal with? says in verse 22, but the fruit, and fruit is something that is produced. That's what it means. It, it's, it's birthed. It's produced. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, or you can say patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. And meekness is not weakness because meekness, it takes a strong person to be meek. Yes, meekness is strength under control. Meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. In other words, there's nothing wrong with these things. These are things are these are things that we should achieve. So those things that we used to do, we need to replace them in our life. Because every time we we get rid of something in our life, there's a power vacuum, and we got to replace it with something, or the demons will want to come crawling back in. So you replace those things that you've put to bed and crucified and got rid of with love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, good goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, which temperance is self control, basically. Okay, so uh, let me go back to Colossians really quick. Make sure that's a good stopping point for us. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to stop anyway. It's that time. We're going to stop anyway. So we're going to pick it back up in verse 9 next week. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, close with a word of prayer. I know we all wish, Lord, that we could be like uh, Michael J. Fox, Marty McFly, and have a time machine to go back in time. But when it comes to who we used to be, I'm glad we don't have a time machine. I don't want to revisit who I was. I don't want to remember who I was. I want to make sure that former Chris Shoemaker is dead. Dead, gone, buried, never to be seen again. You know, uh, spiritually, that Chris Shoemaker is wearing a pair of cement booties and is at the bottom of the sea of forgetfulness uh, from the righteous mafia. <laughs> so, Lord, thank you that you don't bring up our past either. You cast our sins as far as the east is from the west, which is, is an infinite line. You throw our sins in the sea of forgetfulness and remember them no more. We're the ones who keep drudging up our past. It's other people that keep judging, drudging up our past. But, Lord, we're living for right now. We're living in the present, and we're moving forward because we're forgetting those things that are behind. And as Paul said, we're pressing on towards the high calling and the prize of God. And we thank you that there's better things ahead of us than the things that we've left behind us. So, Lord, I'm just so thankful uh, for that. And, Lord, help us to, to live in the victory of now and the victory of who you have called us to be. When you called Peter a rock, he was anything but a rock at that moment. But you nicknamed him Peter because you knew he was going to be a rock at some point in his life. And, Lord, you've called us to be things that maybe we aren't yet, and we're working towards that. And we thank you that you're going to bring us into that because your word says, He who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So we praise you and thank you for those things. We love you and we praise you and ask these things in Yeshua's name and give thanks. Amen. Amen.